Is film like milk? Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's. Mm, damn it. Leche. <laughs> Whole milk, skim milk, medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Hi, and welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we decide if a film has gone bad in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Parasitic Taylor, and coming to me in a very stressful, security, severe situation is my good friend, David William Rogers. Hello. Hello, Paris. I will always love you. <laughs> well, that's really sweet. And also, I will not listen to a single thing you say and will flaunt my frame out in the world. And then I'll be super surprised when someone tries to kill me and my child. So, as you should. As I should. Uh, David, speaking of, well, Happy New Year, first of all. It's Happy our first 2023 episode. Excited to be back. But, David, what is the film we are doing today? The film we are doing today is The Bodyguard 1992, directed by Mick Jackson. And the writing credits go to Lawrence Castan, and he is responsible for the screenplay of Empire Strikes Back, Indiana Jones, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi. So this guy's been working, and he has written on some big stuff in the past. This stars Kevin Costner, Whitney Houston, Gary Kemp, Bill Cobbs. Um, yeah, pretty good cast, and at the time... This is a pretty big movie that had a really big um, soundtrack that only a few albums uh, sold more copies of since to date. So this is, uh, yeah, quite the film. Quite the film. And I believe that it's a trifecta that none of us had seen this movie before. Is that correct? No, I had not seen it. Oh, you've seen it, David? <gasps> I'd seen David. it before. My okay. mom was a huge Whitney Houston fan. So Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought this was a three for three because I this is one of those movies that like was definitely on a list of mine somewhere where I was like, I should have seen this film. Mm. You know, it's Kevin Costner. It's Whitney. I don't know. I did not. So, OK, you just heard a third voice. So we do, in <laughs> fact, have a guest today. No, it's great. You're welcome. Mm. So welcome back to the podcast, Jonathan Easley. Hey, great to be here. Talking Jonathan. 90s movies. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, for the people who may have missed your first uh, film, which remind me which film we did with you the first time. Uh, we did Four Weddings and a Funeral last That's time. That's right, yeah. because you had just come off set where Andy McDowell, uh, Andy McDougal, I'm losing Andy my McDowell. fucking mind. That's right. Andy McDowell, yeah. I'm like, Andy McDougal? No. Uh, <laughs> you had just done a film with her in Orlando Bloom, and you had come back from Kentucky, and that's why we chose that, because that's peak Andy. She looks hot. It's a great, we had a great chat. I enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, welcome back. For those who don't know you, can you give us your little spiel? Who are you? What do you do? What's your, like, what's your star sign? Um, yeah, I'm a writer, uh, first, I guess. I was a reporter. Is that, is that the... an air sign or a water sign? Oh, what's what's a, oh yeah, no, I'm a Capricorn. Oh, if we're doing that, I'm a Capricorn. I'm just... I don't want to, I want to be very clear about that. Because I, I am a Capricorn. Candy, candy corn's great. I don't know what a Capricorn is, but you'll have to tell us after you tell us about the writing. Because both of them mm -hmm. seem like yeah. important things to know about you, you know? Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I'm a writer. I was a reporter in Washington, D.C., and then came out here to write movies, and I've got one coming out next year that you mentioned with uh, a thriller with uh, Orlando Bloom and Andy McDowell. So that's that's what I do out here in the Nice, and you were just recently on The Blacklist, which is very exciting. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Yeah, a script that you read like right when I, right when I finished it last year um ended up on the blacklist this year so that's been really cool i've got a lot of 
heat and interest around that now. So yes. yeah, and for, for, the, for those that don't know, what is the blacklist? Can you describe it to maybe non-industry people? Yeah, it's a, what's the best way to describe it? It's a, it's an annual list that comes out and basically they, they take a survey of a couple hundred, I think, uh, studio execs, production execs um, to, to ask them what their favorite screenplay is that they read that year that has not yet been produced. So it's kind of a, a list of, of some of the, the best unproduced scripts around Hollywood studio executives. And you have no idea if you're going to be on this list or not. There's no like, it's not like the Academy Awards where you get like shortlisted. It's just a total surprise. Were it was a total surprise. I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty awesome because I'd seen that list. Uh, I knew about the list, but I had no idea I would be on it. Um, and obviously like coming out here to write movies, you see these writers that are on this list and the, their titles and it's all very exciting and um you know, it kind of feels like a, a, a cool kids club, like you've made it a little <laughs> bit out here. So I was, it was pretty, uh, I was pretty thrilled and excited to have made it. Congratulations, man. That's dope. Thanks, David. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. I think as well, I know you personally, we hang out, you know, being a writer is a very like thankless job in some ways because mm -hmm. you're oftentimes just like screaming into the void. The creativity is just, you know, writing is not one of those things where you can be like, the best writer because it's completely subjective you can be a, a great writer like our friend who wrote this film and you know work on great projects and stuff like that but it's really so much about like timing and who yes. sees your script oh, yeah. and where you know what else is coming out at the same time is there an appetite for it so i know a few months ago you were like i don't know what i'm doing maybe like am i doing the right thing i'm out here in la yeah, it might have even been just a few weeks ago. I don't know but that I was feeling that way. So it can change quickly, but you're absolutely right. It's about finding the right people to promote your work, getting it to the right people. And honestly, I mean, I feel, you know, there's obviously you need some sort of base level of talent and put in some base level of work to get scripts done, but there's so much luck involved um, and just serendipity, I think, because, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, there's very little reason why some good screenplays don't get made and some do and a lot of that is just kind of uh luck and and timing and finding the right people at exactly the right time and um that that part is kind of just like out of out of your hands but um uh you know if it happens for you you should feel blessed because it is it is quite quite lucky uh, well, that, when it, when it that kind out. of relates to this film because in my research of the bodyguard which we'll do the synopsis in one moment I realized that this film was many years in the making because it was originally written for Diana Ross and Steve McQueen, if That's I'm amazing. correct. That's amazing. That's right. In I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah. In 1970. So he wrote this before um, he did Raiders and all the Star Wars stuff. It just never got uh, picked up to get produced. That's and wild. It just, goes, yeah. it just goes to show, like, you know, it obviously found its market. I mean, the pairing of Costner and Whitney Houston, like, incredible. But the audience had to be ready for it and it had to feel, you know, the right moment. And in my reading about this project, it seems like they did, you know, take the original script and then rewrite it a bunch. And then actually it wasn't working. So they returned to like more of the original storyline. And that's the film that we know today. They didn't actually change it too, too much, which is incredible. As a writer, I'm sure, you know, you're like, 
you know, once you sort of like sign a deal with the devil and a production company takes the script or an actor has it or a director, it's like, yep. it could be very different from the idea that you had, you know, slaved over in your room alone. <laughs> Absolutely. The other thing I heard about that is that I think Kevin Costner and Lawrence Kasdan worked on something years before this mm-hmm. and Kasdan gave Costner the script, but Kevin Costner wasn't Kevin Costner at that point. Mm-hmm. So he was not even a star enough to carry the movie. So Costner wanted to do it from years before, but obviously it took a few a few years for Kevin Costner to blossom into the star that he became. So um, Yeah, he was yeah, a pretty big star at the time, right? Uh, in the early 90s. At the, at the time, yeah. At the time, yeah, he was yeah. one of the biggest stars. Um, mm-hmm. But coming off a pretty hot run. But I think when he initially read the script, he was he loved it and wanted to do it, but wasn't big enough to, to get it made. See, timing yeah. all about it. You know, mm-hmm. talent was there, story was there. Well, let's talk about the film a little bit more. So we usually do a synopsis. I honestly can't remember who did the last one. Since I had never seen it, I will give you my fresh synopsis because it's always funny to hear, you know, a first timer recount the film. So this is a film, it's right there in the name, about a bodyguard. Whitney Houston plays kind of a version of herself named Rachel, who's this like actress. She's a huge Hollywood star. You know, she has this Barbie. She also sings and she has this young son and she lives in this glorious mansion, which I was like, for sure, that's a hotel. But then I looked it up and no, it's just a straight up mansion. And that is my hashtag goals. Beautiful pool, all this stuff. But she's been getting death threats. And so Kevin Costner plays this like really amazing, you know, he's this bodyguard security expert and he kind of gets connected to um, Rachel's character or Whitney Houston's character and he becomes her bodyguard. And there's a lot of tension you know, Rachel doesn't want it to feel like a prison at her house. And she doesn't, you know, she likes being spur of the moment. So she keeps getting these fucked up letters. The filmmakers kind of trick us thinking it's this one weird sort of blonde guy who like is a bit of a, for lack of a better term, panty sniffer type <laughs> freak. I think there's like one thing where like yeah. some of her like costume rips and he literally picks it off the floor and like sniffs it. And you're just like, oh, this guy's he's got like a weird locker, super fucking weird. Um, but she they catch him. Uh, but then at the same time, you know, Kevin's character takes her out to this like remote cabin where he grew up with his dad and somebody shoots her sister. And it turns out like her sister was in on this plot to you know, kill her purely jealousy. And we come to find out that actually the murderer, uh, the, the guy like stalking her is one of Kevin Costner's characters friends. And I want to ask about that. Um, so anyway, Kevin puts his body on the line and uh, sorry, his name's Frank Farmer. Great name. And yeah, he has to jump in front of Whitney's character at the Academy Awards. And then they kind of, at the end, they kind of kiss and she gets off this private jet. And then it's all a bit nebulous. It's a bit like, will they, won't they? I don't know. And then he's like still a bodyguard. I don't know. It was weird. (laughs) So that's the film in a nutshell. So guys, well, Jonathan, you had never seen it before. Mm -hmm. What's your first impression of the film? Did you you know vibe with it was it it's it's yeah. kind of long yeah you know? yeah it was a little bit long so like a few things i mean first of all it's just fun to go back and watch like 90s movies this is like early 90s too so it's got like a whole early 90s vibe and i love the world that it takes place in with uh just the the high end of like music production it ends in this you know big spectacular academy awards thing and that all that is fun um Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston are, are obviously fun to watch, and we can talk about their chemistry later. But um, cl- like, kind of plot-wise, 
I thought the we've got like it's kind of like two movies. It's a thriller and it's a romance movie. And I thought the thriller portion of it was ridiculous. And I thought the romance part was very strong and kind of like the heart of the movie. And maybe they should have just made like a, a, a rom-com between, a, about these two um, because the, the thriller stuff was, uh, I, did, I didn't like that stuff. Can you, go into, can you go into some detail? I want to talk about that. Why, yeah, yeah. why wasn't the thriller part good? Why, like, was it unbelievable? Why was it a little bit ridiculous? Uh, yeah, so we, we've got this, um, the plot turn. First of all, they do the whole um, uh, sort of thing where they try to throw you off where you've got the panty sniffer guy who we never really, we just see him doing creepy things and there's really no point in the movie for him other than to throw us off. So it felt like a, a little bit manipulative, okay? Then And then the whole plot turns on this really unbelievable development of the sister revealing that she put a hit out on Whitney Houston just because she was jealous, even though we've seen no tension between these two whatsoever. It seems like the sister's got a pretty great life living at this compound. And yeah, she's an older sister. She's not as successful, but like... She's got a great life and she gets along with her sister. And we find out that she got a hitman, paid a hitman. Right. It's go, like, shut up, Solange. You're fine, Solange. Yeah, how, do yeah. you, how do you say Beyonce's name? Yeah, exactly. Solange. Yeah. And so it's like, like, I mean, I could understand her maybe like grumbling to someone like, oh, my sister thinks she's like hot shit or whatever. But to put a hit on her, that I was like, come on, no way. And then it was just sort of... Um, the, it was just all it, oh then the guy that it ends up being the other uh bodyguard guy yeah who, who, uh, kind, who kevin kind of, costner knew i think they were both in the uh kevin costner was in the secret service prior yeah and he were two two different presidents and i think um what is his name thomas arana portman he i think he was as well in the secret yeah. service so a guy a bodyguard that kevin costner knew from the past but shows up at this one party almost kind of like Rapes tries him. to rape Whitney Houston in a yeah. really cringy scene that was also unbelievable because Whitney was trying to make Kevin Costner jealous by going off with this guy and you would think you'd just go she would go have a drink and be making eyes at Kevin Costner but she takes him back into some room and starts to hook up with him but then it gets really creepy with this like almost yeah. rape and then that guy is the one at the end who's trying to kill them all I just did, so like, that stuff the, didn't work for me at all the biggest part to me why I thought it was a little bit ridiculous is because Portman He's at the lake house, kills the sister who was, you know, yeah. the financier of this thing. <laughs> yeah. And then he just doesn't stop. You're done. Yeah. The the person you killed, the person who paid you. So like the hit can be over with and yeah. you're, you're not risking the biggest part of like being a hit person is the risk, right? That's why you get mm -hmm. paid. So your, your job's done there and he just keeps pursuing it. And then he tries to do it at the Oscars <laughs> like <Yeah. that. laughs> with a camera, with a, yeah. a gun camera hidden pistol. inside of a, Fake it, video camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that part to me was, was far-fetched. That was yeah. far-fetched, yeah. It was, I agree with you. And I think maybe that's where the long runtime comes in, is that they were actually squishing two movies together. But yeah. it's funny, like the last movie we kind of did before we took a break for the holidays was this movie, The Family Man, with Nick Cage. Mm. And 
you know, David was like, I kept thinking like that it was going to turn dark, like this movie. Yeah. And I think it's like, sometimes you do watch like a cute movie and you're like, oh, imagine if this was actually like, they were trapped in a basement or there was like some kind of twist. Yeah. And this is what that movie did. It was like, what if, you know, she falls in love with the bodyguard, but also it's fucked up. Right. It was like, they, they kind of like asked that question. And listen, I think this movie is considered a classic. The reason I suggested we do it is because during the holidays when I was texting you guys, uh, it was like trending on Twitter or something. Like everybody was home watching this 1992 classic, apparently. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, it definitely had a massive like cultural impact because, like you're saying, David, it's got the it's I think still the biggest selling soundtrack of all time. Yeah. Um, it was like it made like 400 million dollars at the box office. Like the poster is iconic. The song you know i will always love you is iconic oh there's a bunch Which, of songs on the soundtrack that are yeah. iconic and then two icons and and uh kevin costner and and whitney houston so yeah to, to, to your point about the um i will always love you so the original song was not i will always love you it was a different song that was being used for a different movie already so huh. um what was it? It was Kevin Costner was- loved I Will Always Love You, asked Dolly Parton if they could use it. And she's like, yeah, fine. And he's like, I don't even care if it's like a record or whatever. I just love the song. Let's do it. And then it became, yeah, this monster hit for Whitney Crazy. Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, the song that they originally wanted, which is something like Heartbreak something, they... I don't know how this happens because you'd think that like studio heads would be talking to each other and you have to like license things, but it ended up in a movie that came out, I think the year before called like fried green eggs or green eggs and ham or something. Uh, It was uh, fried green tomatoes, fried green tomatoes. I always got there. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's, I mean, it doesn't feel like a musical. Obviously it's not a musical, but music plays like a heavy part in the film. And I don't know if we always see films like this that have like, maybe not less now that have like music kind of running through it, unless it is specifically more musical ish. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I really like that about the movie. Cause it's uh, you start off the first time you're at Whitney Houston's house. She's, she's doing that big uh, practice session for a music video, or maybe they're filming the actual video mm-hmm. at her house. And there's like all the, all the dancers and the dance director. And then she, it's so nineties that she has, a music video release party that she yeah. performs at and everything like that. So that part, that stuff, I I love that stuff. Yeah, it's really fun. And it's so funny, like you were saying, it does feel early 90s because one thing I was noticing throughout the film was like the hairstyles, like that mm-hmm. one girl at the same party with like the rapey guy she comes up and she's got this like buzz cut sort of (laughs) like (laughs) and she's like hey and she's like this sex supposed to be sexy lady and i just i think it's so funny like all the super high like shoulder pads which was kind of a carryover from the 90s these like huge chandelier earrings the the costume department was having a fucking blast with the earrings because every scene whitney was in like these insane you know accessorized outfits um but yeah it is it is really funny but i mean there are some things that are a little bit questionable. Uh, some Kevin, at one point, I wrote this down, he says something about killing her himself. Did you guys catch that? Oh, I don't Kevin remember Costner? That. Yeah, his Kevin character Costner goes, I swear I'll kill you myself or something. If, basically, if you get out of line, because she wasn't listening to him. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to go through this again. He's had 
people die around him or like he it was stuck with him that the president died even though he wasn't there that day um so he's basically saying he almost quit the job to begin with if you remember because whitney yeah. was giving him some you know saying like no we're gonna do things my way he's like all right well fuck it then i'm out of here you're gonna do this my way i'm gonna protect you that's what i'm getting paid for so he's like yeah i'll kill you myself if you don't if you stop still kind of still kind of an aggressive thing to say to someone i think um we also said something to the the chauffeur driver who was black and he said uh the black chauffeur driver is always the first one to die or something something like that it's like is he wrong though (laughs) besides around that era besides like die hard (laughs) which the drivers oh yeah okay okay (laughs) yeah like yeah it's still it's it's still questionable and then the other thing that was like kind of questionable is there's like discussion about one of the governors and the he's like with a girl and he's like how old is this one and she he's like maybe 18 and i'm like oh yeah. we're just glossing over this molestery creepy governor okay cool um but otherwise i feel like it did you guys well david you had seen it uh jonathan i watched this with scott and every five minutes we were trying to guess who the killer was my money i did actually guess the sister but my money was on the pr guy that was so aggressive with her it was so pushy that's what i was thinking the whole time that the big reveal was going to be that that british uh asshole pr guy because he was just like so clearly just like greasy and like gross and um (laughs) you that 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 was that was my guess as well meanwhile it was some random guy with a camera gun (laughs) (laughs) i was uh thinking about this so the panty sniffer today it would have been dismissed immediately or after like taking a sample to the lab because of dna because he jerked off in her bed right so they could have taken that once they found him gotten a sample of his dna and be like no this uh you know this this was the guy or it wasn't the guy you know and the timing was different so just interesting with newer technology well, and also, like, nobody really has a cell phone. Like, there's one point in time where Kevin, like, leaves the Fontainebleau hotel room and comes back and she's gone. And I was like, that would just never happen now because you could literally have an air tag on your client or you could mm-hmm. call them and be like, where are you? But, like, back in the 90s, it, you couldn't, you, you know, someone had to be near a landline. You, I, know, you didn't know where the fuck people were. Well, they cut the landline up by the, mm. by the lake, right? And yeah. that's why he's like, this guy, whoever's doing this is a professional. But you could do something like uh, someone's blocking the cell signal in this town, right? So today you'd have to do something similar to that. Yeah, yeah you have different conceits. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the sister being part of it was super random. But you know what? She got her. She got murdered. And then my other comment was that nobody seemed that upset that she was dead. There was like yeah not a whole lot of reaction and then they were just kind of like back to normal it's like you know i just unfortunately had found out that a a guy i went to high school passed away like very unexpectedly and it's very sad and i was like a mess for days and this like they just kind of like you cut to the next scene and it's clearly been like a day or two and they just like are living their lives yeah i might have yeah oh Oh, sorry david go go ahead you got it Oh, that was, yeah, the other thing is, like, at the end, um, you know, at the Academy Awards, this is not that long after, her sister's been, like, murdered, yeah. almost, like, in front of her, and and Kevin Costner's, like, pushing for more security, and she's like, you're making me feel crazy, 
You know, like I'm totally safe. There's nothing. Someone nothing. broke into your house and killed your sister. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. your son was yeah, almost blown. Your son was almost blown up on a boat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Come on. Um, did She's like, I might have Don't cramp it? my style, guys. I'm yeah. free. Let me live. Did they didn't have the discussion though, right? Kevin Costner never admitted to Whitney um that her sister told her all that stuff right they just fast no. forward, they show the funeral procession her in dark glasses they never were like yeah it was her no yeah not there was there was no mention of that because i was curious yeah. if that was going to be like a big thing going forward she'd be all broken up at her so they did cut um they did cut some scenes kevin costner i think had final edit for this and huh. one of the issues was that, and Jonathan, you were talking about like their chemistry on camera. So they thought in the initial um, cut, the director's cut, that the chemistry wasn't there. And uh, the first few is by some, you know, small audiences. It wasn't good. So they cut out a decent amount of Whitney's lines and then did more uh, close-ups on her to build that chemistry huh. between them. So maybe, maybe that was one of the things that they had a conversation and they were just cutting out some of Whitney's that's yeah. interesting because I I would say that um, I uh, like I I couldn't necessarily tell if they had good chemistry or not really and I, I don't know if that's just because we're watching it thirty years later and maybe at the time it seemed like they did and it but anyway I couldn't tell I will say Whitney was great and this is like her first film role and she was just like totally at ease and granted she's kind of playing herself in this movie which is a good first film role um and maybe it helped her to be sort of at ease but i felt like she was great and in uh sort of the romantic scenes i thought she was totally like flirty believable at ease i didn't feel the same way about kevin costner and maybe that was just sort, sort of his character was meant to be this little stoic like, grumpy yeah stoic guy who's just you know i just drink orange juice and throw knives <laughs> and i'm <laughs> always <laughs> angry about you know the job or whatever but like she was, I, I did not feel on his end that there was like, I was surprised that anyone would be like attracted to him and wanting to spend more time with him just because he was just such a grumpy loner. She, she asked, she asked the director if she should take acting lessons. And he said, absolutely not. I want you just as you are. Mm -hmm. So, and she's like, all right. And then she just came into it that, like fresh. Yeah, she was, she was great. I thought she was honestly, I thought she was, like better than him in, in it. <laughs> we're telling him you said that uh okay so this raises a great question though because you know you're talking about the chemistry let's talk about their relationship so he is a hired bodyguard and she fucks him spoiler alert that's and one of the notes i had so i was gonna ask you too after they bang um is he should he be taking payment anymore <laughs> i mean right that's like, a good question yeah okay we, yeah, we just had this intimate night and i'm protecting you so yeah. exactly exactly so and boyfriend duties are mostly <laughs> i'm not getting three grand for my girlfriend per, a month right to hang out no, with her or, or three, three grand a week, a week a actually week. yeah so i was like once they bang is it is it free bodyguard duty see like, i feel like she would have been fine just with the same arrangement, just like you're still the bodyguard, but we're kind of like dating now or whatever. But he got all weird about it in the morning and he was just like already had his suspenders on. He's like, I can't believe what I've done, you know, just like having a meltdown <laughs> about it. It's like, just relax, man. Like, 
it's all you know he, like i don't know i felt like he they could have just gone on as i like did go there quickly i like when i google like how much the money was then that's now so he was making six thousand three hundred seventy two dollars a week to be body on the line i feel like that's pretty cheap for a full-time security guard i feel like that's it's it should be more for how like famous she was that's know. in nowadays dollars yeah so three thousand dollars in 1992 is like six thousand with inflation and stuff it's like six thousand three hundred dollars ish yeah oh, i mean i think i think he should have stepped off the job because as soon as you put like sexual stuff or like romance stuff like there's no way you can stay objective and um, but it is also fucked up to sleep with your employee. So Whitney was in the wrong there as well. Yeah, she's kind of in the position of power. Exactly. <laughs> you know, in that one, for sure. Naughty. And then, she I, was like, yeah. and then she was like mean to him when he didn't want to sleep with her anymore. It's like, babe, babe, babe. Yeah. She was feeling she, that, that Kevin Costner with the hamburger meat hanging out of the, out of the <laughs> shirt, you know? She can't help it. <laughs> She couldn't resist that uh, samurai sword that cuts the, um, the scarf. Which that was a great a- scene. I know. I love that scene where he's like, she's got the sword to his chest, and he like slowly pulls the scarf off and then throws it up, and then it just like cuts without even hardly touching it. It just like yeah. falls in half. That was pretty. Also, cool. would Kevin Costa's character in this just be considered a straight up neckbeard in twenty twenty three because he lives in a basement? He's got like no furniture and he's got a fucking samurai sword. Like if I walked into someone's house, I'd be like, that's a hard no for me. Let alone want to bang that multiple times. Like she's so butthurt that he's like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got like Secret Service was like a paying that well, I guess. samurai movie and he only drinks orange juice and like, Yeah, this guy's well, that's, that's not true. That's that's not true. He had a beer um when that's they true. after the after the movie. And I took a note because the continuity department kind of missed this. Uh, stop me if you guys know where I'm going. But he's got a full beer. Waitress comes up and goes, "Sir, do you want another beer?" And he's like, "No, I'm okay." They, I noticed that, would that never too. that would never happen at a bar. It's literally and, yeah. a full full beer. And she stopped, and I was like, "That that's." Uh... I feel like they were trying to make the drinking like a thing with him because, like, at first he was like, "We're declining all drinks and only having orange juice anytime anyone asked him." But then he had one beer, and I saw the same thing. It was a full beer, and the waiter. A waitress comes along and is like, can I get you another one? I feel like they inserted that to show that he's responsible and only has one drink oh, at the bar. Like, okay. no, I'm good or whatever. Yeah. And then, I, But then later when he's really distraught, he pours the biggest screwdriver I've ever seen. It had like mm-hmm. seven shots of vodka and then <laughs> and a he was, bit of orange juice in it. He was drinking with his dad at the cabin, I think. Oh, that's right. When they were right. playing chess, yeah, yeah. he might have been drinking. So... The way I 100% if, if his glass was like almost empty and they said that it probably wouldn't have stuck with me because he's like, yeah, I'm being a little responsible. But I took it as too that he doesn't drink on the job while he's uh, working that's it. like that's, that's like good. he's he's not going to let that affect him or dull his senses. That's that's good. That's probably what that is. I think now that you say it, that's right. That's a good yeah. Jonathan, as a writer, um, I also write, as you know, and it's hard sometimes to get information about characters out. So I had to laugh a little bit when they were up at the cabin with the dad and the dad's like, gives like basically like a rapid fire backstory of why this guy is the way he is. Like when we lost Catherine and then we buried her, they were super close and he's always been. It's just like, it's funny. I get it. You have to shoehorn it in, but 
I've just, I think now that I watch so many movies and I read so many scripts and I write my own stuff, I'm so cognizant of like how we deliver people's information. And just mm-hmm. sometimes it's just dad giving you the full backstory. That was, getting... yeah, that was an absolute just like purge of just like biographical detail. Yeah. It's like, oh, he was good with the women. Oh, he played wide receiver. Oh, he, like one after another, just um going on like that so even lawrence kasdan i guess um has to do that sometimes <laughs> i think he could have left out the women part because obviously he was get like two sisters one rich and famous was getting at him they probably could have left that piece out uh <laughs> audience is smart enough to get that um but i did yeah. like i did like the part his dad was talking about the fear and you had the scene where kevin Costner's kind of like looking out the window and he said he never wanted to be afraid and anytime he was scared he was going to keep doing the thing until he wasn't fearful of it anymore so i i did like that line but yeah okay. to your point they could have they probably could have left some of that stuff out because but yeah, i also wrote down where he's like the dad was like, he said to me, how come you never hit me? And I'm like, no kid in the history of the world has ever said that to their parents. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I wish you beat the shit out of me more so I was better at life. Like, uh, that's yeah. going to be. You could have tweaked that to, to make him. Yeah, you could have said a ton of different things to install that fear conversation. That's like a wishful boomer thing. That's like, wow, they wish they bring back the strap in the classroom. And we're like, no, actually, that's going to be no. Uh, Let's talk about the violence in the film, because there are some violent pieces. Most notably, listen, Kevin is, you know, we've been through it. He's a complicated guy. He's got a lot of layers. He at one point goes into the kitchen and asks somebody to clear the area this like kitchen hand who's just like sitting having a cigarette break and the amount of blood this man bleeds you know it's there's like a splatter on the wall he beats the ever-loving fuck out of this guy because he didn't move and he back talked him a little bit i'm like borderline this guy's unstable like legitimately he is a orange juice drinking basement living samurai <laughs> sword having guy who wishes he was beat more as a kid i don't know maybe he's the murderer I don't know. Basement I don't know. living. Oh my God. That was a brutal scene where you just beat that kitchen worker. <laughs> I didn't. It was like kind of like what it. I, I, yeah, that kind of took me. And the, then also the, the kitchen lady comes over and she's like, "Stop it! My stop husband. it! Yeah. Yeah. Leave my husband alone!" <laughs> and then, and then when he gets in the fight with um, the fellow bodyguard who's also there, that was like a knockdown drag out where they're beating the hell out of each other, smashing up the kitchen, and then. Kevin Costner throws knives right at his head. <laughs> like, and and then the guy just like next minute is his best friend is like, I respect you. You Well, that's kind of what it was. It was like uh who is gonna be the alpha male here, right? Big big man was already on security detail for them. He was he started swinging on him, Kevin elusive, you know, punched him up a little bit. Big dude couldn't take it, pulled the knife. Kevin was like, Really? throws a knife so we see him throw the knife again because he's an expert uh, knife thrower and then <laughs> sticks next to him and i think it was more like a respect thing uh for yeah. the big guy to be like all so, right because then yeah and then he's like that now they're a team basically from then so on. let's imagine like the job posting that we see online for this job like may include <laughs> physical alteration altercations with your co-workers mm-hmm. you know just that was silly but i do really like that actor the guy that played uh the other bodyguard he's really yeah. fun oh yeah he's in dumb and dumber he's too like, yeah he's in a bunch of movies where he just gets the hell beat out of him <laughs> like that he was in My, Death- his, 
Yeah, his name's Mike Starr. And he's yeah. just got one of those 90s faces that you're like, oh, my God, that guy. Hey. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I loved his Dumber, introduction. Miller's process, he just, yeah. Oh, he, he was just chewing gum in his introduction. Like, And as like <laughs> an actor, I'm like looking at, like, why did you choose that? But he's just... Because he's just like... Just being really a tough guy at the music uh, the music thing, uh, the, the video. Yeah, I thought it was funny. I also... Um, the I've seen a lot of violence in movies, TVs, don't really shy away from it. But when Kevin shot Porter through oh, the second head, time like he shot exploded. him, oh my God, through the camera into his head, I was just like, like my face like screwed up. I was like, holy shit. Like I had forgotten about that. It's like, it's pretty graphic. It's pretty graphic. It's kind of like Pippin in there, I think, to be shocking. Like to your point, Jonathan, I don't know if they necessarily did a great job genre blending as well as they would have liked but it's almost like they you know they've got these like soft scenes where they're like looking at each other and it's a lot of like soft lighting and eye contact and blah 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 and then you've got like interspersed these like fucking hectic like blood you know beat em up violence and it's just I think that's where this movie kind of falls down for me it's like it's a bit confused like what are you oh, yeah. I always I thought it was a romantic comedy type thing like yeah there was also like aside from like graphic violence, I didn't think the the rest of the action was very even for like ninety two. I felt like it should have been better. Like there's like in one of the opening scenes, like Kevin Costner's chasing an SUV across the property, and I don't know what his plan was if he was gonna like, jump on the car, jump on the duh. roof or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But then right at the the climactic scene, right before uh, the the real um, killer takes one in the head. Uh, our guy Mike Starr, the the '90s galoof, uh, yeah. goes goes after goes after the bad guy, and the bad guy pokes him in both eyes, and then karate chops him with the, <laughs> yeah. with the, like the Vulcan the Vulcan death chop or whatever. Yeah, yeah. This dude's all... like six eight three twenty, yeah. and he gets knocked out from a neck chop. Just a neck chop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, too oh, good. No. It's too. This is the '90s, though, where they were like, "Oh, if you get the guy in the right pressure point, like he's going down." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or in every movie they would do, where just like someone gets punched and then the guy's just like immediately out cold for however long you need him to be out cold. So I guess it works like that. Let's talk about representation in the film because you know we do a lot of these movies, and one thing I will give credit to the film is obviously you've got quite a few strong uh, people of color you know, in leading roles. I think Whitney did amazingly. Do you guys think that there, you know, obviously there's always been a lot of like backlash, like in the early days of like TV and stuff with biracial couples. Do you think that 1992 audiences were fine with this? I mean, it, it was meant to be Diana Ross and Steve McQueen. So obviously there was always meant to be like the question of race, like a part of it. Did anything sort of stick out to you guys when watching this film? Did it make you think of anything, David? Love to it, hear your um, perspective. Yeah, just just uh, just a part of the script. There was no indication of oh. uh, any interracial relationship in the mm. script. Now, having you know, talking about McQueen and Diana Ross, they probably took from that and were like, "All right, let's do Whitney and um, Kevin Costner." But no, I, I like the fact that there was just a diverse you know, cast here, family members, friends, everybody was just kind of just going about, you know, their storyline and just existing in the same world. And it was never, 
hinted at like, oh, my God, we can't make out or have sex or whatever. And Whitney was getting at Porter, too, who was a white guy. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I I, I like the fact and it didn't really cross my mind um, throughout their chemistry and their relationship throughout this movie that it was a biracial relationship. What about you, Jonathan? Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it was just interesting, you know, that they didn't even mention it. It wasn't even like it was there was no plot line about it or dialogue about it. It was just sort of like a natural thing. These two people are attracted to each other mm-hmm. and became like romantically involved. And there was not even any, you know, like uh, like culture clash because they, they came from different backgrounds or, or anything like that. It was just kind of like I, I kind of. I kind of like that, that it, yeah. it, it could definitely open for them to take it in that direction. And they, they just didn't. It was just sort of I a mean, love story. Yeah. That's the true definition of equality is right. It's just a story about people. It doesn't really matter what they look like. Um, I did think it was interesting that she was in the position of power and he was yeah. not, and he was the white guy. And I wonder what that would look like if it was flipped, if there would have been like a different kind of reaction. But I think also because Whitney was so, like on the rise at this time it just makes total sense like you know she's she's the the starlet she's the queen of mm-hmm. this film she carries a lot of power so yeah it's just something i thought we should bring up because we do always like mention if there are people of color it was a pretty diverse at least from a black and white perspective i mm-hmm. feel like not necessarily you know asian representation but mm-hmm. david knows we can't win them all so. yeah well, a win is a win as they say a win is a win <laughs> a win is a win yeah. well it's getting a little long in the tooth was there anything else that really stuck out to you guys speak now or forever hold your peace oh, the beer the beer being full um, <laughs> samurai sword <laughs> samurai sword yeah. The samurai um, sword and the scarf to me was that was pretty awesome. That yeah, uh, that was pretty was great. Cool. And I do is that, think because we is that make... something you're going to implement in your dates now? You just like buy a bunch of scarves, uh, just, like, yeah, yeah. just bodyguard it. Samurai, samurai sword over the TV. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I will cut, say cut to Jonathan's like so I cut off my hands. By <laughs> yeah, exactly. My TV is cut in half. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that's going to lead to a hospital visit. But um, no, I will say because we were just because I, I was just sort of like not making fun of, but just like the thriller aspect of it. But I thought from a pure like uh, romance, like for a romance movie, I thought it was it was great. And it's also it's like you can understand why this was such a massive hit because like people go to the movies to see movie stars, and so like you've got Kevin Costner, who is probably like at this point the, at the height of. 80s 90s popularity yeah. popularity because he's got this like on a run of movies from like untouchables and bull durham dances with wolves jfk and he's doing these movies one after another and then he does this like as the biggest movie star and whitney houston who people are just gonna like be lining up to see like the world's biggest pop star in this movie and they're mm-hmm. in a romance in it so it's just like i thought that whole aspect was was probably the the movie's um greatest strength and probably why it it was so popular then and is enduring now it's like you're saying with uh with timing just as writers same thing with these two being in a movie together at the right time um i did have one thing that was pretty wild looking into this there was almost a sequel what and i saw that yeah with princess diana and the character was loosely based on her life. And she said, I think it was three months before she died that, um, you know, 
go ahead and do the script. And when it's ready, I'll be in a really good spot, she was saying, because things are about to change for me, probably the breakup. Mm-hmm. And then Co- Costner had a second draft of the script three days before she passed away. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. That's crazy. I had right? no idea about that. Yeah, That's wild. insane. Mm-hmm. Can't even imagine what that movie would be. Would have been like, yeah. yeah. Like, And also, I mean, can I just say quickly, that's tragic. And also, it's so tragic that we lost Whitney yeah. so young. I think she was in her late 40s. I think she was like 47 when she died. She died... Uh, she died in 2012 right so 10 years ago so I wonder if that's why the film was having a resurgence last year because it was kind of like the 30th anniversary and then also the 10th year anniversary of her dying Mm -hmm. and she is so beautiful Mm -hmm. every single scene I was like this woman is a goddess she's flawless she's yeah I just I'm so glad that she did this film because I think she does a great job and that voice too you can see like there's close-ups of her singing oh sorry David oh no go ahead Oh, there's just close-ups of her singing in the in the movie, and you just see her throat and tongue and lips quivering, and her technique and everything like that. And it's pretty, pretty amazing. So talented, yeah. yeah. So talented. Gone too soon. R.I.P. Whitney. Miss ya. Um. Well, it is getting to that time, guys. We're starting to wrap things up. But before we do, Jonathan, do you? I know you gave us some wise words before, but it's been, I think, about eight, maybe seven months since we last spoke to you. Do you have any? newfound wisdom as you move through this career in LA. How long have you been in LA now? Uh, about a year and a half, year and a half now. Yeah. So when we yeah. met you, I, when we talked to you last time, I think it was like kind of around your one year mark. So like, what's, yeah. What do you feel like? What can you share with people out there? Cause we do have a lot of um, industry folk that listen in and also people from outside the industry. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would just say uh, just based on my experience, it, um, it takes time and it's gonna and it's like it can be frustrating and slow and that's 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 okay because things will also happen and they can happen quickly um but uh yeah like you mentioned earlier i've been i mean i've only been out here a year and a half and i've had uh stretches where i was just like how am i gonna make this work um kind of thing and just it's never just doesn't move at your at the speed that you want it's just gonna be move at the speed that it happens so uh, i guess Maybe I'm giving myself advice. <laughs> yeah. You listen to this okay back, like, that guy's that. pretty yeah, smart, yeah. actually. I should do uh, that. You yeah. got you to gotta stay in it, you know? Patience. You, bit, people drop out all the time for various reasons. I was having a meeting today with someone, and we were saying, like, you know, if you're in the business, you're in the business. You know, it's a drug. Some years you might make a million dollars. Wouldn't that be nice? And some years you might not really feel like you have any traction. But it is a cycle, and, yeah, I love what you said. I think you do just have to keep keep going um jonathan where can people find you i know you're not really big on the social medias but where can they okay first of all where can they see your film do you know where it will be released uh i don't know yet but i'll know soon they'll yeah they're they're finishing the final cut and there will be yeah they'll they'll have a distributor um at yeah probably announced soon yeah current title is the red right hand that's right keep an eye out because that's our friend jonathan's film and i'm sure it's going to be awesome i think we should have a viewing party honestly we should probably rent out a theater and do like a whole thing that'd be really fun we'll do it down. yeah let's yeah. do it awesome but yes if people want to find you on social media do you have any handles? oh yeah what yeah you-, you can just google jonathan easily and my twitter or, or instagram will, will come up perfect so, yeah i don't spend a lot of time on it well i do i spend a lot of time looking and lurking but i don't spend a lot of time <laughs> exposing myself just, just know yeah. that jonathan's yeah. out mm-hmm. there looking and lurking 
like <laughs> like Porter in The Bodyguard. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, it's that time of the episode where we have to give someone from the Costal crew a shout out. Jonathan, I don't remember if, ooh, some crazy lightning out there. Yeah, I just saw that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, David, why don't you go first? Yeah. Um, I'm going with um, Bill Vitagliano, another sad story. Um, he's transportation department, and he actually passed away on this film. Um, he was 33 years old, and he was crushed between two lighting equipment cranes when one of them malfunctioned in an L.A. parking garage. Oh so, yeah, we hate to hear these stories. Uh, unfortunately, they do happen. And we always talk about on this podcast, it takes a village to make these movies. So like when you lose one, um, it's really felt and yeah, it's just really yes. sad. He, he went uh, when he did, um, he was the bodyguard. He did White Man Can't Jump, Shooting the Beast, The Adams Family, The Hunt for Red October video game. So like he was doing his thing and he was making his way. Um, his last two were White Man Can't Jump and The Bodyguard. So um, yeah, gone too soon. So Bill, uh, we appreciate you and thanks mm. for everything that you did and contributed. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? I mean, I feel like sets, you know, now are very safe and whatever, but then you hear of tragic shit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's only a, a year and a bit ago that uh, someone died on the set of uh, Alec Baldwin movie where mm-hmm. a gun prop gun malfunctioned. And then there was another woman who was killed on a train track or maimed on a train track, you know, a stunt driver. It's just, it's so terrible. And, you know, I think as we move through filmmaking you know security is getting better and better i have a few friends that work in health and safety at netflix they are so diligent about things but of course freak accidents malfunctions can happen so so. bill and bill's family if you ever hear this podcast which seems like a long shot but we do see you and we do appreciate you um who do you have jonathan who do you want to shout out uh that's well that was a beautiful one david thanks for that one um i would give i'll I'll get, I have to give mine to Whitney Houston just because, you know, I have not really been too familiar with her movies. Obviously, she was just sort of this sort of like in the way that like superstars are sort of like this presence in your life. She's sort of like I've, I've known about her and just sort of like known her, her biggest stuff. But this I thought she was amazing in this movie. Um, and then obviously this movie, like it came out in 92. I think she married bobby brown that year and it's sort of i mean this was it seems like this was sort of like the the pinnacle for her coming off this massive like pop career and then having this this giant um movie um so i would give mine to her just because i thought she was just like magnetic kind of on the screen and her voice was so amazing um and you can and i and i really did the like the the romance between her and costner like whether there was chemistry there it was like so sweet and like real so, and you can you can look up online, I think, and see Kevin Costner's uh, eulogy for her at her mm. funeral, and it's pretty amazing. Like he he loved her, like he mm. he really loved her. He had some nice, really nice things to say in the way that she had like touched his life and so many people's lives. So I thought that was I thought she was spectacular. Mm. Yeah, you could see there was a real friendship and an admiration there, and he gave her a lot of encouragement and I could only imagine acting against a, a Goliath like him, you know, mm-hmm. for your first time. That's great. We love that. So Whitney, we see you and we appreciate see you. We appreciate you, Whitney. I already mentioned, I think who I was going to give my shout out to, but I thought the costumes on this film were epic. So I wanted to shout out the costume designer, Susan Miniger, 
who has done some really cool movies. She's still working, seems like. I mean, the last thing she did was in 2021, Punky Brewster. She was the costume supervisor. So maybe maybe she's taking a break or maybe she's working on other stuff. But um, she also did Hubie Halloween, which was kind of a cute movie mm-hmm. if you saw that in 2022. And she's just done like a lot of different things. I mean, you know, costume people, they like bump, bounce around. She did Simon Says, which was a short she did The Longest Ride, which is kind of like a cowboy movie. So, you know, she's in out here and I hope she got to choose all the earrings because they were pretty fantastic. <laughs> so, Susan, we see you and we appreciate you. Yeah. All right, my friends. It's to that time where we have to decide if this film has stayed fresh or if it has aged like milk. Jonathan, you're the guest. What you saying? Oh, I mean, this is a no brainer. Yeah, this is fresh fresh movie it's it's like you can you it's a you know it's a classic blockbuster hollywood movie hollywood stars that doesn't it doesn't get old whether like these little pieces we discussed about the thriller stuff like hold up or whatever like it's it's fresh you're never not gonna watch you know kevin costner and whitney houston when they're on tv together yeah yeah what do you say david yeah i'm same vein similar vein i'm gonna say this is uh this is a milk with some kevin costner orange juice sprinkled in it's got a little vitamin <laughs> it's got a little vitamin c it's going to keep yeah. you a little bit healthy um even though there's a parts that's like ooh, it like chokes you up a little bit in the throat Spicy. but um anytime whitney's on on camera and singing like oh my god it was literally like i'm frozen in time just watching it today and chills down my spine down my neck just this this woman was just amazing and yeah watching her on screen just being who she is uh, was fantastic and i love the part we discussed a little bit earlier in the podcast that this isn't a musical but it's just like these two big songs or a few songs throughout this like just really invoke like an emotion in you and i was listening to them you know my girlfriend and i went to look at apartments today and i was just banging whitney houston uh, a couple soundtracks from this uh this album so yeah i i think this movie held up i like it a lot songs still hold up too from this oh yeah uh, yeah i think this is going to be fresh for a while yeah well i was gonna say i do feel like it's two milks blended together it's like you've got a strawberry milk and a chocolate milk and it's can't really figure out its flavor but that's really more to do i think with the genre blending that we discussed kind of works kind of doesn't but of course i think this film is you know i would still drink this milk i think everybody should try this milk and it might not be for you but it's it's definitely like fresh i think storytelling wise it definitely holds up even though it is a little long and there are some some holes i'm i'm with you guys it's just two phenomenal people captivating the screen it's classic film classic music you know and it's yeah i'm really glad that we watched it because i i can't believe this was kind of a gap in my film knowledge so i'm glad to yeah Yeah, same here yeah well that's the show for now jonathan thank you so much for joining us we cannot wait to have you back maybe you know when your film does does get light um this podcast episode will obviously come out post the day it's released but it is pouring rain outside so i hope if you live in a place that has rain that you're staying warm and dry i do want to give a quick shout out to uh david our guest caroline who was actually um our guest on the 50th episode she recently told me that her she told her friends from oregon that she was hanging out with me at christmas and they were like oh my god we know paris from the podcast they have continued 
ever since she joined the podcast, which was many episodes ago now, they have continued on as faithful listeners. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. So wanted to give a quick shout out to Caroline's friends. Yeah. Hello in Oregon. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, come hang out when we're in Oregon. Yeah. 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 yeah we'll go up there. We'll, we'll all hang. You know, we'll bring you some stickers or something. <laughs> but guys, that's it for now. Uh, make sure you find Jonathan. Make sure you support the Red Right Hand when it comes out. We love Orlando. We love Andy. Uh, David, you should just go ahead and check your fridge. And make sure that milk ain't spoiled. Gross milk is gross. Stay warm and dry out there, guys. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye.